number one pick for the South. The South picks for its radio show, The Y'all Show. Hello, all y'all. I'm John Rawl, and it is NFL Draft Day 2021. We're going to be talking about the draft coming to you from Cleveland, Ohio. And we'll have all that analysis coming up in our sports coverage here on today's Y'all Show. I am the General of the Southeast. I am John Rawl, and it is great to have you aboard on Draft Day 2021. It's also the day after Joe Biden address congress this is his first state of the union address was wednesday night we'll hear some highlights from that we'll also get reaction from T- senator tim scott of the great state of south kagalaki and we'll have scott's reaction the former chick-fil-a employee in fact he talked about chick-fil-a in his address after biden spoke on wednesday evening so we've got some news coming your way from the world of politics on today's y'all show and we have other headlines from across the southeast including sadly from north carolina after a 13-hour standoff one deputy killed in north carolina on wednesday also in mississippi get this in jackson the state capital of all places the city there is having problems with people in downtown jackson mississippi drag racing what is that how's that possible (laughs) well it is in alabama oh they're bringing confederate stuff back into the spotlight as the state is debating whether to remove the confederate battle flag from the coat of arms of the state of alabama and i've got something to say about that we'll have that discussion coming up as our headlines continue on across the southeast also we'll let you know that the governor of west virginia governor justice has now signed into law in the mountain state the latest state to ban transgender athletes from competing that's going on in west virginia in tennessee lawmakers there agreeing to let you have a alcoholic drink to go and now they're following what mississippi just did so how about a little mixed drink to go you can do that in the volunteer state i'll tell you how if you're going to be in tennessee or live in tennessee we'll tell you how you can do that no that's got to be exciting and also as we roll through today's headlines How about the lightning capital of America? I'll tell you where that is. You might want to stay away from that if you get a chance. That's coming up as we have our headlines across the southeast. And as I said, we got the NFL draft going on. That's the big sports, uh, you could say, headline here on this Thursday. Always good to be here any day of the week. But Thursday, a fantastic day. And we're going to tell you about the draft In fact, in terms of the NFL, we had a big move on Wednesday. The Carolina Panthers send Teddy Bridgewater to the Denver Broncos, and we'll have some analysis on that. And speaking of the Queen City Cats, they also announced that they're going to be changing their field at Bank of America Stadium, a field that sees several college football games. Charlotte has a new Major League Soccer franchise, and the Panthers are going fake grass. I'll tell you about that here in a few minutes as our sports continue in this first hour also we got our sec report here this first hour of today's y'all show and speaking of the carolinas we're going to go to columbia and hear from the head coach of the gamecocks shane beamer yeah that's frank's son he's now carolina's head football coach 
and the Cox just held their spring football game this past weekend. And we're going to have Coach Beamer on to talk about the amazing spring game of running back Zacondre White. That's coming up. We'll also go to College Station and get some reaction from Jimbo Fisher as his team had a wonderful 2020 season. And the Aggies head coach spoke after the spring game for A&M. And we'll hear what's going on in College Station. We also have a look at some of the college baseball action taking place today for the Southeastern Conference and the matchups for this weekend. And we'll let you know a little bit more about Coach Mulkey of the LSU Women's Basketball Program. How much money is she making to leave Waco and the Baylor Bears to go to Baton Rouge and coach the LSU Tigers? Coach Kim Mulkey is making uh, a lot of green to make that switch and go to the SEC from the Big 12. I'll tell you just how much in our SEC report of today's Y'all Show. We also have some fun social media stuff, courtesy of hashtag Colorblue. Hour number two of today's Y'all Show. Oh, it's going to be a good one. We're going to have more headlines. We're going to have an entertainment update. In fact, if things don't get out of out of, uh, out of line, you could say, I have a couple of concerts across the Southeast that this weekend, as we turn the calendar over to the month of May, that unless things change at the last minute, you can go see some real concerts in a few of our southern cities. And I'll tell you a few of those concerts and some Britney Spears news as well. Oh, you you, you know you're not going to leave the radio if you're going to get a Britney Spears update. Well, we'll we'll have that in our entertainment headlines. And speaking of entertainment, we're going to go to Music City, hour number two, and give you the latest of what's going on in country music Gabby Barrett is atop the charts with her new song, and we'll play that, and we'll give you some Gabby Barrett news. Also, some Miranda Lambert news just for you, Mr. Doles. We will have that coming your way in our number two. All that is part of the coverage of everything Southern of the Y'all Show. Also, Southern Accent coming your way, hour two. And as we wrap up today's Y'all Show, Art Cruz scheduled to be back here. He had to leave yesterday and could not be part of it. So he's got a lot to say when he arrives for hour three of today's y'all show as we'll be cruising the south and in part of that third hour we're going to be telling you about some great festivals taking place this weekend across dixie and some other things of note you might want to go ahead and pencil in on your calendar as you make plans to try to get your life back to a little bit more normal and festivals and things to do across the 16 southern states is a good way to make it all happen all right, as we said, we're the show that covers the South, and if you want to be a part of y'all talk with a Southern accent, it's very easy to do that. All you got to do is go ahead and save this number in your cell phone. Six, rather, it's 803-816-1170. 803-816-1170. That is the way to get in touch with y'all talk with a Southern accent. You can text 24-7. I mean, we're, we're here to kind of communicate we don't want to have a failure to communicate so we're here to answer your calls all the time and the easy way to do that is just to pick up that phone and give us a call 803-816-1170 and or text that number and if you got something to say or something you just need to get off your chest you don't like something we said hey we have an open door we literally have an open door here right now because sometimes here in the Y'all Studios, powered by y'all.com. It gets a little toasty, so we got the door open right now. Maybe 
maybe if we don't have some of these thunder boomers coming by or whatever else, uh, snowstorm possible here uh, in the Y'all Studios, powered by Y'all.com. Yeah, no, I don't think we'll be having snow. Maybe not the rest of this springtime. Good Lord, we had a cold front come through the other day for some of us in the south, and that was uh, plenty good. I don't want to break the jacket out anymore if I don't have to. All right, let's get this party started with the party that was held on Capitol Hill on Monday night as the 46th president of the United States, Joe Biden, declared that America is arising anew and called for an expansion of federal programs to drive the economy past the pandemic and broadly extend the social safety net on a scale not seen in decades. So we're, it sounds to me, shades of Franklin D. Roosevelt and the New Deal is what it sounds like. Biden pointed optimistically to the nation's emergence from the coronavirus scourge as a moment for the country to prove that its democracy can still work and maintain primacy in the world. Now, he spoke in personal terms while demanding massive structural changes. The president marked his first 100 days in office by proposing a 1.8 trillion, with a T, 1.8 trillion dollar investment in children, families, education, all to help rebuild an economy devastated by the coronavirus and also to compete with rising global competitors. We have some audio from the president's State of the Union address in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday. Let's go in now and hear that on the Y'all Show. The president of the United States, Joseph R. Biden, speaking to Congress. Here are some highlights. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President, no president has ever said those words from this podium. No president has ever said those words. And it's about time. hundred days since I took the oath of office and lifted my hand off our family Bible and inherited a nation, we all did, that was in crisis. The worst pandemic in a century. The worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. The worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. Now, after just 100 days, I can report to the nation, America is on the move again. Today, 90% of Americans now live within five miles of a vaccination site. Everyone over the age of 16, everyone is now eligible to get vaccinated right now, right away. Go get vaccinated, America. Go and get the vaccination. They're available. They're eligible now. We can't let our guard down. But tonight, I can say, t- because of you, the American people, our progress these past 100 days against one of the worst pandemics in history has been one of the greatest logistical achievements, logistical achievements this country's ever seen. Thanks to the American Rescue Plan, we're on track to cut child poverty in America in half this year. And in the process, while this is all going on, the economy created more than 1,300,000 new jobs in 100 days. More jobs in the first... 
more jobs in the first 100 days than any president on record. For too long, we've failed to use the most important word when it comes to meeting the climate crisis. Jobs. 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 Uh -oh. What am I clapping for? Oh. Yeah, that was Joe Biden Wednesday night in front of both houses of government of, of the Senate and the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C., as he held his first State of the Union address, perhaps his only State of the Union address. I have this crazy conspiracy that I, I don't think Joe Biden is going to last past the 4th of July this year. Go ahead and wage your bet. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but that's my guess. He's going to resign, and he's going to go off to Wilmington, Delaware. He proved his point. He won president. He doesn't need to serve anymore. That's just my crazy speculation, but we'll see. The ball's in his court, or actually it's in God's hands. But that was the president there finally having a State of the Union. If this would have been his predecessor and they had not had an address until roughly the 100th day in office, oh, goodness, I believe the country would have come to a stop. But – Biden has his address. And speaking of a retort to the president, that's what the Republicans or the opposite party does every year after a State of the Union address. Tim Scott is South Carolina's one of the two Republican senators from that state, Lindsey Graham the other. And Senator Scott gave the Republican counter to Joe Biden's State of the Union address. Let's go in and hear the amicable South Carolinian speaking moments after President Biden wrapped up his address before Congress. Here is Senator Tim Scott. We just heard President Biden's first address to Congress. Our president seems like a good man. His speech was full of good words, but President Biden promised you a specific kind of leadership. He promised to unite a nation, to lower the temperature, to govern for all Americans, no matter how we voted. This was the pitch. You just heard it again. But our nation is starving for more than empty platitudes. We need policies and progress that brings us closer together. But three months in, the actions of the president and his party are pulling us further and further apart. I won't waste your time with finger pointing or partisan bickering. You can get that on TV anytime you want. I want to have an honest conversation about common sense and common ground, about this feeling that our nation is sliding off its shared foundation and how we move forward together. Growing up, I never dreamed I would be standing here tonight. When I was a kid, my parents divorced. My mother, my brother, and I moved in with my grandparents, three of us sharing one bedroom. I was disillusioned and angry, and I nearly failed out of school. But I was blessed. First with a praying mama. And, and let me say this to the single mothers out there, who are working their tails off, working hard, trying to make the ends meet, wondering if it's worth it, you can bet it is. God bless your amazing effort on part of your kids. I was also blessed by a Chick-fil-A operator, John Lanise, and finally with a string of opportunities that are only possible here in America. This past year, I've watched COVID attack every rung of the ladder that helped me up. So many families have lost parents and grandparents too early. So many small businesses have gone under. Becoming a Christian transformed my life. But for months, 
too many churches were shut down. Most of all, I'm saddened that millions of kids have lost a year of learning when they could not afford to lose a single day. Locking vulnerable kids out of the classroom is locking adults out of their future. Our public schools should have reopened months ago. Other countries did. Private and religious schools did. Science has shown for months that schools are safe. But too often, powerful grown-ups set science aside, and kids like me were left behind. Powerful words from Senator Tim Scott, Republican South Carolina, giving the Republican counter to Joe Biden's State of the Union address from Wednesday evening. Tim Scott, an alumnus of Charleston Southern University, but when he went there, it actually might have been Baptist College. I went to summer school at Charleston Southern University, something Senator Scott and I have in common. Go Buccaneers. And just an update on the president. Today, he will be in the state of Georgia. He is going to Georgia to tout his 100 days in office and have a, I think, a socially distanced event in the Peach State. He also, along with the First Lady, making time to go down to Plains and visit with Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. The 90-year-olds will welcome in President Biden today in Plains, Georgia. We've got more news to share with you in Hour 2. Stay tuned as one of the Apollo 11 astronauts passed away on Wednesday. Also, we'll let you know about other news across the Southeast. All that is headed your way, Hour 2. Headed your way next is a Southern Sports Update on this, The Y'all Show. the y'all show and we're gonna have a lot of sports talk to get you through the rest of this hour in the next segment you don't want to miss out it's our sec update we've got audio from the coach of the south carolina fighting gamecocks shane beamer his gamecocks just held their spring game this past weekend inside williams bryce stadium and we'll hear from the coach of carolina and then we'll go to college station where the coach of the Aggies, Jimbo Fisher, spoke after his team held its spring game this past weekend. And I think we're just about done with spring games in the SEC after last weekend. So we'll have an update on SEC football, SEC baseball, even SEC women's basketball. All that is part of our Southeastern Conference Spotlight coming up in the next segment. But right now, let's tell you all about the NFL draft and other sports news across the Southland. It is NFL Draft Day 2021, I know for a lot of you out there, it is 
kind of like Christmas, maybe uh, maybe like St. Patrick's Day for some of you, a day that you're looking forward to, but there's maybe more important days on the calendar for you. Hey, it is a big deal if you are, let's say, one of these teams that are in desperate need of help, whether it be from the quarterback position or it could be someone in the backfield. We've got teams out there whose fortunes rest on how well their team does in the NFL draft. And right now you've got the NFL draft set to take place in Cleveland. It's going to be televised on the NFL Network as well as ESPN as round one today, rounds two and three will be on Friday. And then on Saturday, you got rounds four through seven. I'm going to go through the order. You probably, if you've tuned into other shows, specifically sports talk shows, they have talked NFL draft 2021 probably to death. I'm not going to quite talk you to death here on this Thursday y'all show, but I do think it is important to remind all of you who all's drafting here. So as you might expect, Trevor Lawrence of Clemson, I think the odds are pretty high that he's going to be picked by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And this is a guy who could truly become the lifesaver of Duval. This guy could help save that team in Jacksonville in Northeast Florida because, look, we've thought for a long time the owner there, I think his last name is Khan, that the owner of the Jags was likely going to move this team away. It's maybe the smallest market outside of Green Bay in the NFL. But Trevor Lawrence coming in, a guy who had helped lead the Clemson Tigers to a national championship a few years ago, a Georgia native. So right there on the, uh, pardon the pun, Georgia-Florida line, or Florida-Georgia line, not the band, he could make a big difference for this franchise. So they get the pick. They're likely going to get Lawrence at number one. Number two, the New York Jets. After they sent Sam Darnold to Charlotte a few weeks ago and the Panthers picked him up, they have a vacancy at quarterback. The Jets expected to take a QB with their second pick, most likely the BYU QB. The 49ers traded up to be the number three pick in tonight's NFL Round 1 draft. The Atlanta Falcons, a lot of intrigue about them. as They've got Matt Ryan, the veteran QB from Boston College, in the ATL. Are they going to go ahead and kind of have an heir apparent in their draft on this Thursday? Or they're going to go more with a skill position, perhaps a tight end the young man from the Florida Gators, perhaps, going to the Falcons. The Falcons with the fourth pick in the NFL draft today. The Bengals, they don't really need a quarterback, to my knowledge, since they got Joe Burrow at number one in the 2020 NFL draft. But the Bengals have the number five pick today. The Dolphins traded up to get the sixth pick in tonight's NFL round one draft. The Detroit Lions, a new regime there in Motown, and the Lions with the seventh pick. Now, the Carolina Panthers have the eighth pick as of now, but all speculation is out there. The Panthers are likely to trade down, maybe with the New England Patriots, as the Panthers, some news from that franchise that I'll share with you in just a second, some rather big news since it had to do with the quarterback position. But the Panthers, as of going into, as as I'm telling you here, they are the eighth team on the board in the NFL draft round one. The Broncos are at nine. The Dallas Cowboys, all you Cowboy fans, you're picking 10th unless you make some moves. And I think the Cowboys are solid at the quarterback position. 
They could probably use some help on the defense. They're picking 10th in the first round. The Giants, the G-Men with the 11th pick. The Eagles are at 12. The Chargers of Los Angeles, 13 in the first round pick. The Vikings sit at number 14 in the NFL draft order. The Patriots and Coach Belichick are at 15. As I said, that's one team many of the so-called experts predict will try to move up in the draft on this Thursday. The Cardinals are at 16. The Raiders of Vegas are 17. The Dolphins, more than once you'll see them in this first round. They're at 18 as well as their pick at number 6 in this first round. The WFT, yes, the former Redskins at number 19 in this first round draft. The Bears are at 20. The Indianapolis Colts sit at number 21. The Tennessee Titans try to get a pick this year that actually will play for them as the Titans are at number 22. Their first rounder last year may be the worst case ever of a first round draft pick. Number 23 in tonight's NFL draft, the New York Jets. They got this from the Seahawks. They're at 23. The Steelers checking in at number 24. The Steelers tried to build on what they did on the field in 2020 where they won, what, the first 11 or 12 games on the season, and then they fell apart in the postseason to the Browns of all teams. Number 25, the Jaguars appear again. They got this draft pick from the Rams. The Jags at 25. The Browns at 26. The Ravens. Checking in at number 27 in this first-round draft choice of tonight's NFL first round. And at 28, the Saints are there trying to maybe come up with a plan in the post-Drew Brees era of the Big Easy. Packers sit at number 29. The Buffalo Bills are at number 30 on the draft board. Number 31, the Ravens have that pick. They got that from the Kansas City Chiefs. And then lastly, your Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, are your final Round one pick on this Thursday. Again, round two starts on Friday, round two and round three. And then the subsequent rounds take place on Saturday. And again, most people predict Trevor Lawrence, easy pick to the Jaguars. Then Wilson, perhaps being picked number two to the Jets. And then it's Katie Barr, the, the door for the rest of the NFL draft. Now, one story that popped on Wednesday that definitely has an impact on how At least two teams will be making their decisions on this draft night. The Panthers and the Broncos, they had a little trade on Wednesday as Carolina sends quarterback Teddy Bridgewater to Denver. And they did this because they got Sam Darnold suiting up in the black and blue of the Carolina Panthers. But they did trade him to Denver for a sixth-round pick in this year's draft. So they're going to be instantly rewarded for their decision to ship Teddy Bridgewater to the AFC West. What is in exchange? The Panthers will pay $7 million to Bridgewater. The Broncos have to pay him $3 million. As Broncos GM George Payton said, acquiring Teddy Bridgewater adds competition, experience, and a strong veteran presence to our quarterback room. I would think so, since they have the former Missouri quarterback, Drew Locke, there still questionable about just how well He's going to turn out to be as an NFL player. But the Panthers say goodbye to Teddy Bridgewater after just one year, a year that he literally had many opportunities to lead that franchise to victories in the fourth quarter. He didn't win a single game at quarterback when he had that opportunity. I think he was 0-8 where the Carolina Panthers had a chance to win, and he threw interceptions, and he just 
just didn't look like a seasoned professional. He signed Bridgewater a three-year, $63 million deal with Carolina before the start of the 2020 season. Ended up throwing three, right around 4,000 yards, a little less than that, in the season. Had 15 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. But again, he had maybe the stats look good for him, but what did not come through was those victories. And if you're an NFL player, quarterback, receiver, long snapper, whatever the position, you got to be able to win games at least half the time, okay? I know you can't win every single game like, let's say, Brady does or Joe Montana did when you had that fourth quarter drive, and Brady hasn't won all of those games. Sorry, Tina. But you got to win a goodly portion, and that's the one thing that the Panthers in 2020 just failed to do, and that's why after just one season and giving him a whole lot of green, they're willing to part with him. It's Sam Darnold's team, unless in this draft, and, and here I don't want to I – mean, you're probably tired of hearing people predict. But here here's a – I think the Panthers might have the most intriguing draft pick because they could move up. They could draft a quarterback, move up. They could still get a quarterback of their choosing in the eighth position by not moving at all. Some people think they're going to be moving down. And with Darnold, they've got, a, I think, a good quarterback, but they could benefit from having one of these really talented young quarterbacks also added to the mix too, giving Darnold some competition. And, or maybe they could actually, you may not know this, Darnold's got some kind of stipulation in his contract that he has to essentially be renewed for the future sometime next week. And so the Panthers still haven't, to put this in terms that some of you might understand, they are engaged to Sam Darnold. They actually might even be married to Sam Darnold, but they haven't necessarily constipated the marriage. <laughs> Hope you got that. So much to see on this draft night, specifically with this franchise, the Panthers, but a whole lot of franchises. Hopefully whatever team you root for is going to have the best draft pick. That's what they the experts within these teams get paid lots of money to do, and they'll have uh, an army of people helping out when the NFL draft starts this evening on ESPN and other networks. Speaking of that Carolina franchise, the Bank of America Stadium is the home of the Panthers, has been since the 1996 season. And you don't often see this from Southern teams that play outdoors, at least at the NFL level, but Bank of America Stadium in downtown Charlotte, technically uptown Charlotte, will transition from grass to artificial turf before the Panthers hit the field in August. And now, because of this, half of the NFL's 32 teams will have fake fields, 16 real grass, 16 fake grass. The decision to switch to field turf was made to guarantee a consistent surface for not only the NFL team, but also other events that take place at Bank of America Stadium. Those events include the Charlotte Football Club of Major League Soccer. The Panthers owner is also the owner of the Charlotte Football Club of the MLS, who will be calling Bank of America home. Also, the field hosts college football games, concerts, and more. So a fake field in Charlotte, for the Panthers and for Charlotte Football Club. Yeah. All I know is Charlotte Football Club of MLS where they practice. They practice at a place that I learned to ice skate. 
because I think it was Eastland Mall. It was the premier shopping mall in Charlotte back in the 70s and 80s, and they had an ice skating rink. And I think they were the only ice skating rink in all of the Carolinas, maybe even Georgia. Ice skating was something here in the South we didn't do a lot of, and most of us still don't do a lot of ice skating. But there in kind of the center court area of that big mall, they had an ice skating rink, and yours truly as a lad took a church field trip up to Charlotte to go ice skating. And it didn't turn out too well, come to think of it. But the mall did not succeed after a couple of decades, as most shopping malls have not. They tore it down, and that's where this MLS franchise on that same property practices. How about that? Let's go to college football, and it's an update from the Chattanooga Mocs of the Southern Conference. You might remember a couple of months ago after the election, just after the election, in fact, an assistant coach for UTC, Chris Malone, got fired over a tweet where he said something not so nice about Stacey Abrams of Georgia. Well, this former assistant coach is now suing the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga for First Amendment retaliation after he was fired for a tweet mocking Georgia politician and voting rights activist Stacey Abrams. He actually said on Twitter he called her Fat Albert, if you want to know what the tweet said. And he got fired, and now he's firing back after this tweet. As his tweet said, congratulations after the election. This might have been after the January election where the two senators, Democrats, got elected from Georgia. As this coach wrote at that time, Congratulations to the state of Georgia and Fat Albert, Stacey Abrams, because you have truly shown America the true works of cheating in an election again. Yeah, this was in January. And he wrote, Enjoy the buffet, big girl. You earned it. Hope the money was good. Still not governor, as Abrams ran for governor and lost to Brian Kemp a couple of weeks ago. He was fired immediately upon putting this thing out, and now he's firing back. And frankly, I don't know where to stand on this. I think the, the school certainly had a right to to retaliate with his very uh, perhaps ignorant statement on Twitter. But this guy's suing because of First Amendments. And we're all about the First Amendment here on the Y'all Show. And just because you say something that's uh, off-putting, should that mean you should lose your job? I mean, Yeah, I know if it's really crossing the line, yes. But here, just calling a person who's a public figure, by the way, Stacey Abrams, Fat Albert, and enjoy the buffet, big girl, uh, that's questionable. I mean, to me, if you're a champion of the First Amendment, is it nice? No, what he said was not nice. But is should he have been fired? Well, that's going to be up to perhaps a judge or a jury to figure that part out. But, yeah, former Chattanooga Mocs assistant coach Chris Malone now suing for First Amendment retaliation, suing the University of Tennessee Chattanooga. You might have seen this. Art Cruz is going to talk about it when he's in in Hour 3. Bryce Harper of the Philadelphia Phillies took a fastball, a 96.9 mile-per-hour pitch to the face in the game against the Cardinals on Wednesday, and it brings up safety and more. And he said he's all good after leaving the win of the Phillies had over the Cards. And, uh, I, I mean, that game at St. Louis – it looked like he was severely hurt if you saw the footage of that. But he walked off the field, had some blood on the left side of his nose, but says he's all good. But we'll we'll talk safety and more with Art when he's in an hour three. But uh, just a scary scene there from Major League Baseball Wednesday night in St. Louis. 
We have an SEC update coming your way next on the Y'all Show. Stay tuned. we got Gamecocks and Aggies talk. Also, women's college basketball talk courtesy of the LSU Bayou Bengals. All that as the Y'all Show rolls on after this timeout. Go Cox! And this is the Y'all Show Talk with a Southern Accent. Time now for the SEC Showcase on this Thursday Y'all Show. We're going to take you to Columbia. We're going to take you to Aggie Land and tell you what's going on in what many, if not most in the South, would say the premier athletic conference of college sports. I'm John Rawl, talking all things SEC with you. And SEC football winding down for the spring. We've already seen most teams have their spring games prior to last weekend. This, uh, I guess it would have been the last Saturday in April last weekend. You saw Tennessee and Mississippi both had their spring games. And we had audio from Coach Heupel as well as Coach Kiffin earlier in the week. But we got to give some love to the other two schools that had their spring games this past weekend. At Williams-Brice Stadium, Shane Beamer, the new man in Columbia, the new man in Bojangles slash Russia's slash Zesto's country, he had his first spring game. A guy who, again, is the son of the legendary Virginia Tech coach Frank Beamer. A guy born in Charleston, South Carolina, when his daddy, Frank, was an assistant coach at the mighty Citadel Bulldogs there along the Ashley River in Charleston. A guy who was an assistant coach under Steve Spurrier back in the 2000s decade and now has found his way to Columbia. He most recently had been the assistant coach, I think he was technically the assistant head coach at the Oklahoma Sooners as he was kind of a offensive guru alongside Lincoln Riley there in Norman. Well, he had the opportunity to take over the Gamecocks after Muschamp was sent packing in the 2020 season. And now Shane Beamer, who looks like he just got out of college, but he's actually in his 40s. He's leading this South Carolina football team now. And uh, I wasn't uh, necessarily thrilled when i found out he was going to be the coach if you're a fan or you keep up with any of these teams across southeast when they make a a firing of a coach happen in this case firing Muschamp, you think instantly gosh they're got they got somebody incredible that's coming in they got a heavy hitter they got nick saban's going to become our next coach of whatever team you pull for well at south carolina like many schools Tennessee, you know very well of what I'm talking about because it's happened so many times for UT. The Gamecocks didn't get a Hall of Fame coach to take over the program. They ended up getting Shane Beamer, a guy who's never been a head coach at any level. I don't think he's ever been a coordinator at any level, but they're giving him a chance, and they've got a pretty good case study there in Columbia. 
And the case study is a guy right up the road in in Clemens, South Carolina, a guy named Dabo Sweeney. I would say he's done pretty well for a guy who had never been a coordinator and or a head coach before entering the head coaching position of the Clemson Tigers. Spring game 2021 held at williams Bryce. Let's go in now and hear from Coach Beamer as he's had his first spring game now in the books, and we'll find out what he had to say after that at williams Bryce. Again, South Carolina coach Shane Beamer here on the Y'all Show. Enjoy this. So fired up for him. That's the way he is every day in practice. Uh, that's the way he is every single workout. I've told the story that the very first walkthrough we had in the indoor back before we even started spring practice, we handed the ball off to him one time, and he you know, went full speed down the sideline, ran 30 yards to the end zone in a walkthrough. And I remember turning to J.J. and, and uh, Tonka and Aaron Sterling and some of those guys on the sideline, kind of like, what, what's up with this guy? And they said, Coach, he's that way every single play, and he is. Uh, he's always got a smile on his face. He's high energy. I love the way that he competes and the way that he runs the football. He's a uh, he's he is a weapon for us. He does a great job on special teams, and and he's going to have a I think he's going to have a big time 2021 season. He he with Kevin Harris and Marshawn Lloyd and Rashad Amos not playing today. He took advantage of that opportunity. There's no doubt about it. He's going to get a lot more carries because of it. All right, I should have pointed out that was Coach Beamer talking about running back Zacondre White, who's a transfer into Columbia. And with other players sitting, White had a, a really strong spring game. And that's the one thing that South Carolina really has kind of lacked, in my opinion, over the last few years. They haven't had the kind of strong running back presence that you need in the SEC East. And they got Luke Doty, I guess, is the heir apparent to be the starting QB here in 2021, a guy who's a South Carolina native. He got a chance to come in and be QB for a few games at the end of the 2020 season. And I wouldn't say that his grip on the quarterback position is rock solid, but it's pretty solid at this point. And you could have a transfer coming in any day now and also trying to compete for the position. But at running back, a guy like this, Zachondre White getting a chance to play, I know is music to the ears of South Carolina fans as they're trying to get off the schneid and, and get to a bowl, get to winning ways and more. Now, this was a team that did qualify technically for a bowl game, as I think they were going to the Gasparilla Bowl this past year, but the coronavirus kind of did them in, and they ended up having, like a couple of other teams across the college spectrum, ended up having to cancel the bowl before they could even get on the plane or get on the bus and head down to St. Petersburg for that. Also this past weekend in College Station at Kyle Field, the Texas A&M Aggies held their spring game, and we've got some audio of Jimbo Fisher as remember going back to 2020 the Aggies had a fantastic year yes they lost I think two games total they won the Orange Bowl against North Carolina they had a chance an outside chance of maybe getting a invitation to the college football playoff that didn't happen for them but still a very good season but that's not good enough for Aggies they hired Fisher to come in from Florida State to win a national championship he knows he's got to do that He's no, he's he knows he's got to get an SEC championship sooner than later. Here is the veteran coach now talking in Kyle Field following his team's 2021 spring game. Yeah, I mean, I got through spring. Uh, you see some things. We got a got guys in different positions. Got them work. Got a lot of good work in. Uh, we'll evaluate the film and see, and then start putting pieces in place to get ready for fall camp. Got a lot of work to do on all both sides of the ball, and we know that coming out of spring, always have, always, always will, and. Uh, so now is what we do between now and camp, getting in shape, 
becoming masters of our craft, studying film, those types of things. A lot of work on their own because there's going to be a lot of time on their own at times. Uh, matters how good we can be and then get into fall camp and, and have, we have good pieces to be, have a good football team. Uh, made a lot of development, a lot of key areas, and still got work to do in all, but still got work to do in all areas. I mean, in all areas. So not disappointed at all, but by, uh, about where I thought we would be. And that was Aggie head football coach Jimbo Fisher from this past Saturday. As again, this past weekend, you had the Aggies, the Gamecocks, the Vols, and the Land Sharks all having their spring games on, in most cases, as far as I could tell, with the weather across the southeast. It can get a little dicey in the month of April. I think it turned out pretty pretty favorable, and they all got their spring games in without a hitch. So good job. As you know, the NFL draft is taking place this evening, and the SEC Network has taken the opportunity to remind everybody in social media that it is draft night, and they've got a breakdown of the most players drafted by conference. Do you want to take a guess which conference had the most players drafted in 2020? It was the SEC. In 2019, it was the SEC. So it was also in 2018, 2017, 2016, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7. So for the last 13 years, the Southeastern Conference has led all conferences for players drafted in the NFL. And the SEC Network asked after all of those years of popping up as the leader, is that good? Yeah, I would say that's a pretty good record, Southeastern Conference, of putting players into the professional circuit. And we appreciate the public service announcement coming from Charlotte's SEC Network. It is a little weird that the SEC Network is based out of an ACC state in North Carolina. Nick Saban. Oh, anytime we can get a quote from Nick Saban, we got to share it with you here on the Y'all Show. Saban says he is not in favor of expanding the college football playoff field as he spoke tuesday on the paul feinbaum show the coach and seven-time national champion was asked for his thoughts on expansion he said he's not a fan he said quote the more playoffs we have the less significant bowl games are going to be so it's really not for me and i don't think i'm even capable of judging how significant the positive self-gratification so many players get so many programs get so many coaches get from being able to go to a bowl game And now everything has shifted to the four teams in the playoffs and bowls seem to be pretty insignificant. So, again, this is from Nick Saban. I think if we expand the playoffs, we're going to see a continuation of that trend where the bowl games become less and less significant. That's what Nick Saban said, and that means a lot to me. And if you don't mind, if you've got something to say about expansion in the college football playoff, 803-816-1170. We'd love to hear what you have to say about that but that's what that's what the man said nick saban he's not a fan of expanding and i'm not a fan i think we shouldn't even have a football playoff if you want to know my opinion i like the old days where we had sometimes split national champions and we had two different polls that determined who was your national champion i thought it worked out pretty well and and even in the era where you had the bcs it usually worked out pretty well other than the one year Auburn kind of got screwed 2004 that worked out well in in my opinion hey positive sign that we're getting close to the start of the 2021 season the Southeastern Conference has announced the media days schedule as it will kick off July 19th the SEC media days returning this year to the Hyatt Regency Birmingham the Winfrey Hotel there in Hoover just outside of Birmingham taking place July 19th through the 20th. 
uh, rather 19th through the 22nd. It's a multiple day deal. On the 19th of July, the SEC Media Days kicks off with Dan Mullen, Ed Orgeron, and the guy we just heard from a few minutes ago, Shane Beamer of the South Carolina Gamecocks. Day two of Media Days, Kirby Smart, also Mark Stoops of UK, Lane Kiffin of Mississippi, and the new coach of the Vols, Josh Heupel. All that on July 20th. On the 21st of July, Coach Saban, Mike Leach of the Bulldogs of Mississippi State, Coach Fisher of Texas A&M, and the Vanderbilt Commodores' new man, Clark Lee. All that on July 21st. Then on July 22nd, oh, can't wait to hear this guy speak, Sam Pittman of the Arkansas Razorbacks will be closing up that day. And then the new coach of the Auburn Tigers, Brian Harson, and Missouri's head football coach, Eli Drinkwitz, all part of the SEC Media Days July 19th through the 22nd from the Hyatt Regency, Birmingham, which is at the Winfrey Hotel in Hoover, Alabama, just outside of the Magic City. So going through the list here of brand-new coaches, it's always fun to look at who's going to be stepping up to the podium for the first time. you got, on the first day, Shane Beamer is a new coach in the SEC of South Carolina. Day two, you have Josh Heupel of the Tennessee Vols. He'll be the new newbie there on that second day. On day three, you got Clark Lee of the Vanderbilt Commodores. Oh, hell yeah. Lee will be there, the, the freshman, if you will. And then on the last day, you got Coach Harson of Auburn, and he'll be the rookie there on that last day. So each day, they got it stacked out where there's a new coach. Each day of SEC Media Day is taking place toward the end of of July. Can't wait for that to happen. LSU has announced that they're going to allow for a full football stadium when football returns in the fall. Full stadiums, and they're going to remove the mask mandate for outdoor sporting events. And that is great news. Actually, the 100% capacity rule is going to go into effect on Friday when the LSU Tigers host Arkansas. I think it's a number one Arkansas baseball team coming in for a three-game baseball series, So, and it'll be Full steam ahead for LSU athletics from a attendance standpoint. Speaking of LSU, how about the Lady Tigers? Kim Mulkey signing an eight-year deal with LSU to move over from Baylor to be the Tigers' head basketball coach. How much was this deal worth? Uh, I should have been a women's basketball coach. I think her salary is somewhere in the line of $2.5 million a year, and it's over $20 million total on this deal that she just signed. Kim Mulkey, eight-year deal with the LSU Tigers to be the head basketball coach of Baton Rouge. She's a Louisiana native coming back home from being in Waco, Texas all these years, leading the Baylor Bears, and now the chance to make a few pesos and be the Lady Tigers head basketball coach. Lastly, you got some college baseball games taking place today in the Southeastern Conference. The Auburn Tigers will be taking on the Georgia Bulldogs. And then on ESPNU, you can tune in and see the Kentucky Wildcats and the number four Tennessee Volunteers, that baseball series from Knoxville here on this Thursday. As far as what's taking place over the weekend in SEC baseball action, you've got, of course, Kentucky-Tennessee as well going on that series as well as the Auburn, Georgia. Texas A&M will be traveling to, uh, to from College Station to Stark, Vegas to take on the Bulldogs of Mississippi State. This weekend, Missouri and Alabama have a series. Vanderbilt and Florida have a top 15 series in Gainesville. The Gamecocks and the Mississippi Landsharks have a top 20 battle. 
That will be televised on the SEC Network this weekend. And number one Arkansas, as we just said, will be in Baton Rouge at a 100% capacity Alex Box Stadium. The LSU Tigers. And that's a quick look at SEC Sports. We've got some social media fun we'll get to right after this on the Y'all Show. All right, wrapping up this first hour of y'all, we're going to go to our social media fun now and what we call hashtag hullabaloo and quick food item courtesy of Paula underscore call me PMC. And she admits that she's a food fanatic, a recipe developer, and a pound cake queen. You can go to her website, callmepmc.com. And Paula, Miss Paula, puts out on social media learn how to make a perfect pound cake with my simple tips hashtag call me pmc hashtag bourbon looks like she's got some bourbon in this pound cake oh yeah the pound cake queen paula underscore call me pmc and her website is call me pmc.com we appreciate you sharing that with us here and you can share any kind of southern food fun and more by giving us a ring, 803-816-1170, or dropping us an email, mail, M-A-I-L, mail at y'all, Y-A-L-L dot com, mail at y'all dot com. We are checking that inbox constantly and ready to share what you got here on the show that's all about the South. Hour number two is headed your way. We've got a lot of entertainment news and some news straight out of Music Row in Nashville, Tennessee on this, the show that covers everything in the South. Stay with us. website is y'all.com y-a-l-l.com it is the homepage of the south and from that website we present you another hour of y'all talk with a southern accent i am john rawl and boy it is great to be here with you for more coverage of what's going on across the good old southland and good to have you some of you are having mm, a little bit scary weather today we actually have an update on that across the region that we'll share in just a few moments we've got headlines from across the south here in hour number two we also have a quick look at entertainment news some britney spears news just what you needed here on a thursday and also we have some concerts taking place as we turn the calendar to the month of may this weekend i'll let you know about some southern cities that have actual concerts none of this virtual stuff so we'll have that plus speaking of fun We're going to go to Nashville and get an update on all things country music. And I'll tell you about Gabby Barrett. She is atop the country music chart for the third consecutive week. And we'll play her big number one song, at least a portion of it here on this second hour of today's Y'all Show. All that here on Talk with a Southern Accent. We'll also get a Southern Accent. Speaking of that, a Southern Accent report 
on business here in this second hour. Art Cruz is coming your way. Our number three, 803-816-1170 is how you can connect with y'all. Okay, recapping some of the headlines across the southeast on Wednesday evening in front of a combined House and Senate President Joe Biden had his first State of the Union address as we reach his first 100 days in office. And the Thursday morning quarterback, if you will, on the State of the Union address, Biden's getting extremely progressive, much more progressive than he said he would be or he was going to be the moderate. That's my take. He's going to go way left. And he's going to spend an unbelievable amount of money on programs and doing things to, he thinks, equalize the country. That's the plan. And who's going to stop him? Are the Republicans going to be able to have enough support to halt, to have a filibuster, if you will, in the Senate? What is the checks and countermeasures to Joe Biden? Tim Scott was the response to biden's address wednesday night we played a portion of that in hour number one he did a good job shared some of his personal story there as he worked for chick-fil-a as a youngster growing up in the low country of south carolina so biden now today after the address wednesday night finds himself in georgia as he's going to tout his first 100 days with a rally in the atlanta area and then he's going to plains as he's going to go see the president of the 1970s jimmy carter he carter and Rosalind welcoming men jill and joe biden here on this thursday now speaking of money and the government 730,000 previous stimulus recipients have more money on the way according to the irs how about this this is part of president biden's american rescue plan and the IRS said that this latest group of payments were sent to 2 million recipients. The stimulus provides up to $1,400 for single people and dependents and up to 2400 for married couples. And this is the seventh batch of stimulus payments being sent, including another round of this plus-up payment to previous stimulus recipients. I'll tell you what. This makes going to the mailbox great again (laughs) because a lot of people have found these big checks from the government over this last year. Some of you maybe don't get these kind of checks that regularly. Since the 12th of March, the IRS has distributed 163 million payments with a value of some 384 billion buckaroos. This latest batch began processing on the 23rd of April with an official payment date of April 28th and that would be wednesday the day that biden spoke before congress so yeah you might be getting what they call this plus up payment if you're a lucky guy or gal as the irs is continuing to pump those checks into the economy potentially making a lot of money we don't know for sure all right let's tell you about an update from georgia as three men have now been indicted on hate crime charges in the death of Ahmad Arbery. This is that case from around Brunswick, Georgia, where these men fatally shot the 25-year-old black man after spotting him running in their Georgia neighborhood. A very convoluted story. This happened right in the middle of the pandemic in the late spring, early summertime, and kind of got overlooked by the George Floyd mess. 
But yes, in this case, Travis McMichael and his father, Gregory McMichael, have now been charged along with their third man, Roddy Bryan, with one count of interference with civil rights and attempted kidnapping, and now also charged with using, carrying, and brandishing a firearm during a crime of violence. And the Justice Department bringing federal hate crime charges on Wednesday in the death of Ahmaud Arbery, charging these three men. Now, should these men be charged for killing the man? Should they be charged with interfering with civil rights? Probably so. They could at least they may not be found guilty. They could be certainly pr- uh, prosecuted. I got a real problem with hate crime charges. I don't think there should be a single law on the books of a so-called hate crime. This is something that's just popped up in the last five, ten years. I think it in this case, here's the federal government coming in and interfering with a, a local case. This is a murder. What happened here? And why is the federal government putting its lifting its heavy hand? Maybe this is a question that our third hour guest, Art Cruz, can help weigh in on. But here's my defense of the hate crime thing. Isn't every crime a hate crime? I mean, does somebody go out and rob somebody because they love them? Does somebody go out and kill somebody because they love them? And I just think it's an unnecessary charge that's now been added to the criminal story of these cases. And it it actually, when when you might have just your standard run-of-the-mill murder, but when you can throw in the hate crime, oh my goodness, all of a sudden this case becomes a super case. And it's just unnecessary element because as i said it kind of goes back to aren't all murders and killings done out of hate whatever the reason is somebody may not like someone's skin color and they kill them for that it's still murder and they're going to hopefully go to jail and maybe even be executed for that decision somebody might go out and kill somebody not because of the color the color of their skin because they want their watch or their wallet that was a hateful thing That's my opinion. If you're a lawyer, I want to hear from you. If you have a different opinion, we'd like to hear from you on the Y'all Show. But, yes, from the coastal area of Georgia, Brunswick area, these three men now indicted by the federal government on hate crime charges in the death of Ahmaud Arbery. Sad news from the world of NASA as Florida resident Michael Collins, an Apollo 11 pilot, has died of cancer. You might remember it was Collins, as well as Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, made their historic first steps on the moon in 1969. And Michael Collins, the Apollo 11 astronaut, died this week at the age of 90 from cancer. A statement from the family said, Mike always faced the challenges of life with grace and humility and faced this, his final challenge, in the same way. So he passed away in it wasn't till just a couple of years that Neil Armstrong passed away. And I had to think for a long time, man, there must be something. And I'm sure you might've thought the same thing. There must be something about going up in space that gives you longevity because most all of those NASA astronauts who survived, not the ones that sadly crashed on taking off or space shuttle astronauts that landed some or crashed sometimes coming back into, to the earth's surface. But the Apollo 11 crew, most of these guys live well into their 80s. And in this case, Michael Collins, he lived to be 90 years old. He was born, by the way, in Rome, Italy in 1930 and died in Naples this week at the age of 
90. His wife, Patricia, died back in 2014. He had three children. He was a graduate of West Point, graduating there with a Bachelor of Science degree from the United States Military Academy, and then served a long time in the U.S. Air Force, retiring with the rank of Major General. But yeah, born in Rome, Italy, to a career Army officer. That's the reason he was born in Rome and uh, probably wasn't too well uh, spoken in the Italian language, but I could be wrong with that. Now, this leaves with the death of Michael Collins, and also we lost Neil Armstrong several years ago. Buzz Aldrin continues to be a survivor, as he is now 91 years old, nicknamed Dr. Rendezvous, also a West Point alumnus class of 1951. But I think Aldrin lives in Florida as well, I remember seeing him a few years ago at an Alliance football game. That was the league that started up two years ago, and he was at an an Orlando Apollos game. That was the team coached by one Steve Spurrier. But we remember an American hero from the world of space navigation, Michael Collins, age 90, dying in Naples, Florida. Police now have an update from Georgia. As we told you on Monday, a vehicle crashed there on Saturday, killing six women inside of that van that went out of control. And it looks like, according to Gwinnett County Police, they've released their initial accident report and identified the victims in the Saturday wreck, all of which were part of a living community called We Are Living Proof. And it looks like a car ended up kind of cutting this van off as it was just an ugly scene Saturday in Georgia. You had, as among the members of that van, those who died, a 34-year-old mother of four who had recently decided to get help for her addiction problems. She died. And most of these people who died in the van were from the state of Georgia. You had a couple of women age 44, 38, 53, another 34-year-old woman. Police said the vehicle seen changing lanes ahead of the the van that crashed here. A vehicle was seen changing lanes ahead of this 2002 Dodge Ram passenger van, and this vehicle did not remain at the scene. So this, this coward kept on going on Interstate 85, a coward that caused this van to crash, six people dying and many others injured, all because of an unexpected lane change that sent this van out of control, killing six women a sad story from the weekend from georgia the officer that is alleged to have shot brianna taylor in the raid there that killed her in the last year whenever that was is now retiring from the louisville police officer sergeant jonathan mattingly plans to retire from louisville metro police june 1st and he is the officer who fired at taylor after being shot during the deadly raid on taylor's apartment Now, you might not remember that, but yeah, this guy was actually shot in the leg, the 48-year-old police sergeant, shot in the leg during the March 13th raid at the place that Brianna Taylor lived with her boyfriend, and the boyfriend said he feared an intruder was breaking into the apartment. Officers returned fire after Mattingly was struck, and that return fire killed Brianna Taylor, and that case, again, continues to get headlines and more but the man that actually is cited as the one who shot brianna taylor jonathan mattingly now set to retire from louisville metro police 
to North Carolina. Sad story from Wednesday in terms of law enforcement as after a 13-hour standoff in Boone, North Carolina, one sheriff's deputy was killed, another wounded in this standoff. And the standoff ended after the suspect's apparent suicide, that according to the Morganton, North Carolina Department of Public Safety. And the standoff happened Wednesday, roughly 10 hours after police issued a shelter-in-place order to local residents. Watauga County Sheriff Lynn Hageman identified Sergeant Chris Ward as the deputy who was airlifted to a hospital in Johnson City, Tennessee, and later succumbed to his injuries. The second officer that was wounded in this shootout, K-9 Deputy Logan Fox, was still inside the home when an armed person continued to periodically fire at police who had surrounded the building and evacuated the neighborhood. But one sheriff's deputy there in North Carolina killed another injured there in the Boone, North Carolina, the mountains of western North Carolina. Our thoughts there to that force of law enforcement in North Carolina. The law needs to do something in Jackson, Jackson, Mississippi, that is, as residents of that capital city say they're growing frustrated with illegal street racing, a crime that's also happened in another capital city of the South, Atlanta. But sure enough, in Jackson, residents and city council members are discussing this at the most recent city board meeting. One person that lives there tells the local TV station this has been a recurring problem. Council members raise the idea of mandatory jail time for offenders and discuss impounding cars. Uh, racing in a city, street racing, Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, where's Deion Sanders? He needs to come around from the JSU campus and do something about it. Alabama is now debating whether to remove the Confederate battle flag from that state's coat of arms. If you've ever seen the shoulder patch of Alabama troopers or you might have seen other governmental uh, signs and such, the official coat of arms of Alabama includes, as part of it, the Confederate battle flag because that coat of arms includes all of the uh, flags that have flown over Alabama. Alabama historically has been very proud of all of the flags that have flown over that state. And you saw cities like Mobile proudly display all of the flags. We're talking the French, the Spanish, the British, and the early American, and then even the Confederate flag because it flew over Alabama officially for four years, from 1861 to 1865. But now some in Alabama are looking to erase that flag from, again, the coat of arms of Alabama as it is included alongside France, Spain, the U.K., the U.S., and the CSA flag. Here's my problem. Okay, you want to erase the Confederate flag from that? Well, guess what? Every one of those other states had a big part of slavery in this country, okay? Not just the Confederacy. The United States flag imported slaves. We wouldn't have slaves in this country if not for the colonial powers that were here before this United States was created. So I'm tired of seeing people only center in on the Confederacy when other colonial powers, European powers, powers today even, were very much a part of the slave trade and had something to do with the import of slaves to North America. So don't let France, Spain, the U.K., and even the United States flag off the hook when you talk about slavery because, remember, slavery was a part of the United States far longer than it was part of the so-called Confederate States. And this might be part of the reason in Mobile even, 
which they had a gallery of flags there for a long time. They took all of the flags down in Mobile. So something tells me that's probably what they'll do in Alabama, if I had to guess. I hope they don't because I love history. And, you know, like it or not, that flag is part of our region's history, our nation's history, and definitely part of Alabama's history. Something tells me that it'll be completely reworked and they won't have any flags on their coat of arms of Alabama. That's uh, that's what DraftKings and and uh, perhaps the other ones like FanDuel are out there making wagers on right now. Moving on to other headlines across the Southeast. Hey, if you're a South Carolinian and you win the lottery, well, you have actually the choice of not letting the world know who you are. And that happened just a few years ago when a person in South Carolina won the Powerball. I think they won a uh, – yeah, it was – a $1.537 billion winner of the Mega Millions ticket just about two years ago. Well, in South Carolina now, they're considering changing the way the rules are as it has long been one of the handful of states that lottery winners can remain anonymous unless they choose to come forward. But earlier this week, the state Supreme Court of South Carolina sided with a man who filed an open records request with the State Lottery Commission that actually seeks the names, contact info, date, and jackpot amount for prize winners of a million dollars or more for a 12-month period. So if you uh, cash in and win that big lotto, you might have to come forth and tell who you are, if you're in South Carolina, that is, and maybe your other states out there. How about some political news from the state level coming from the volunteer state as lawmakers in Nashville have okayed to go alcoholic drinks for two Years, bars and restaurants in the state of Tennessee could keep up the Corona era offering of to-go beers and other alcoholic drinks for two years under this bill now awaiting action from Governor Bill Lee. The supermajority Republican legislature finished work on the to-go drinks legislation with the Senate's passage Wednesday. You know they weren't leaving Nashville until they got this thing signed. Through executive order, Governor Lee has allowed alcohol to go drinks during the pandemic while establishments in-person traffic suffered. The sponsor of the bill, Republican Brian Kelsey, said the state is not allowed to collect taxes on the to-go sales through the executive order, and the bill would ensure taxes are collected. So the state of Tennessee is going to get that money for your to-go alcohol order. This extension would be effective until July, 23rd, July of 2023 under this bill. But yeah, if you're in Tennessee, you're in luck. You can get you an alcoholic to-go drink. So next time I see DoorDash or some of these other national companies like Uber Eats delivering a drink to your doorstep, I'm going to sit there and think, oh, I know what's in that container, and it ain't coffee. A West Virginia transgender athlete bill has been signed by Governor Jim Justice. The governor said earlier this week this he would probably sign the bill despite warnings the NCAA could retaliate. What's the NCAA going to do? Not have a national championship held in the state of West Virginia. You know, they've done that to states like Mississippi and South Carolina over the Confederate flag before. So what are they going to do, not have a championship in the Mountain State? Well, they don't have them there anyway, as far as I know. But Governor Justice signed a bill that bans transgender athletes from competing in female sports in middle and high schools and colleges. The bill was among 38 signed by the governor in Charleston and it had narrowly passed the state Senate, which had added the college component before being overwhelmingly approved in West Virginia's House of Delegates. And now West Virginia joins other southern states in having this transgender athlete bill be signed into law. Of course, each state's 
build just a little different depending on which state you're in. All right, to Florida we go, and this is one that uh, would scare the you-know-what out of me. We love Florida, right? Great state, no income tax, wonderful weather. They got some problems with critters in Florida. We know that they've got those big snakes in the Everglades that are sometimes 20 feet long. They've got sharks. They got a few alligators in, in, in the state of Florida. Did you know that Florida has bears? And I'm not talking about the Chicago Bears. I'm talking bears in the Sunshine State. And this week, a homeowner woke up to find a large hole in her porch screen and a unwelcome visitor in her swimming pool. And this happened in Naples. The woman said that the bear was out there saying that he may seem cute, but other neighbors were a little weirded out by the fact that a bear was in her swimming pool. So courtesy of the Florida Wild Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, I have a map here that shows where bears are located in the state of Florida. They have the, I think the Florida, maybe black bear is a variety of bears that are located in Florida. And I think they have what's called a brown bear. But the Florida black bear is occupied all over the Florida mainland, including some coastal islands. So kind of centering in on the black bear of Florida the most common places you're going to see it based on sightings of the bear in Florida. Up around Destin, yeah, Destin-Fort Walton area in the Panhandle, there's a lot of sightings there. Also around Tallahassee, and then actually near the University of Florida campus, around Gainesville, down to Ocala, lots of bear sightings there. Working your way to the east coast toward Daytona Beach, bear sightings in the state of Florida. And then the only other area would be around Fort Myers has a lot of bear sightings. Rare to see bears in South Florida, around Miami, working your way up to Boca Raton and more. And also rare to see bears right along, I think that's called Chattahoochee Lake. I think that's the name of it. It's where Georgia, Alabama, and Florida all kind of come together. That is a rare area for seeing bears in the state of Florida. But, uh, yeah, they got bears in Florida in addition to all those other crazy things out there to be kind of on the lookout for. A little update on the weather here today on the Y'all Show. The national weather forecast has thunderstorms across a large portion of the southeast. Heavy rainfall will produce flooding across both the south and the mid-Atlantic. So be careful. Check your weather forecast before you head out to the door to go to work or perhaps go to the golf course as you're going to see a pretty high risk of showers and thunderstorms stretching from Louisiana all the way up to actually West Virginia. So that little swath there, if you're in most of Georgia or the Carolinas, you should be in good shape here. But everybody else, you might want to have an umbrella close by and also keep an eye on the weather. Speaking of weather, do you know the lightning capital of America? Do you know where that is? Florida, we were just talking about the Sunshine State. You are no longer the lightning capital of the United States. You've got a new lightning capital. And the lightning capital is the Sooner State, Oklahoma. You better be careful when you go outside there because you could get struck by lightning. You know, they, they old saying lightning strikes. Well, it really does strike in Oklahoma. So be careful there as it has edged out Florida for this dubious honor, if you will, of having more lightning strikes than any place in the country. How many lightning strikes? 
Well, it looks like, according to meteorologists, that Oklahoma passed Florida for the most lightning flashes per square kilometer. Lightning events per square kilometer recorded in the Sooner State totaled 83.4 during the period that they were monitored, and that was more than Florida's 82.8 lightning events. So it was not all that uh, far apart, just one more lightning strike. But, uh, yes, lightning is something, especially this time of year, you better be careful for. And Oklahoma is your leader of lightning strikes in America. See, we got it all here, weather, fun, and more. We also tell you about what's going on in the entertainment world and the country music world. We'll do that when we come right back. An update on Britney Spears and some concerts across the southeast. We've got a y'all entertainment report. It's coming up after the break. Welcome back to the Y'all Show. That from the woman that's going to be turning 40 years old this year. How does that make you feel? She'll be celebrating on December 2nd. Brittany Jean Spears, born in Macomb, Mississippi, on that December 2nd, 1981 day. And, of course, her hometown, Kentwood, Louisiana. She actually went to high school in Macomb. or or I guess she may not have gone to high school there because of all the media stuff she was doing but she would have gone to the private academy there in macomb britney spears in the news here on the y'all show and taking you back some 20 years with that little tune there britney will address the court at an upcoming conservatorship hearing spears attorney samuel d ingham iii spoke at a hearing on tuesday at la superior court stated Brittany wants to address the court directly, adding that she would like it to happen within the next month. That hearing will take place, according to reports, on June 23rd. Now, why is Britney Spears in court? Not necessarily for some of her bad songs through the years, but the battle is over Britney Spears' $60 million estate, and it's been going on for a long time. It started late August when the attorney filed to officially remove her father, Jamie Spears, as conservator. The elder Spears had been the conservator of her estate for 13 years, so it's an ugly scene. Jamie Spears also oversaw his daughter's health and medical decisions, and he became the sole conservator of the singer's estate in 
2019. I wonder what Britney Spears' mama's up to. Why is she not part of this whole equation? Yeah, just an ugly thing in, in this case. Britney, I think, has been trying to turn her life around. I don't necessarily claim to be a Britney Spears expert, despite talking about her on today's Y'all Show, but she is definitely having a bit of a, a tiff with her family, including her, her father, her her sister, Jamie Lynn, well, she actually has just turned, how does this make you feel, 30 years old. I didn't realize there was that big of an age gap between the two Spears daughters. Let's see here. I'm trying to give you an update. Let's see. Jamie Lynn gave birth in 2018 to a second daughter. So she's got a couple of kids of her own. Brittany's got a few of her own. And the Spears family continued to make headlines, not necessarily for the best of reasons here in the Southland and uh, fighting with her daddy in court for all the world to see. That's never a good thing. Okay, moving on as we have our y'all, our entertainment report. We've got country music news coming in the next segment. So we're we're giving y'all the scoop on all kinds of fun stuff here on today's y'all show. Moving on with more headlines across the Southeast in terms of media. Thanks to Amazon, if you want to go get a movie or do something a little bit different. Some of our theaters are opening up. According to the Amazon bestsellers list, I'll tell you a few of the current best-selling movies from Amazon that you can view. Now, this one I'm going to tell you about was brought up because of the Oscars. Minari, M-I-N-A-R-I. What am I saying? M-I-N-A-R-I. And this was a movie about an Asian couple growing up in Arkansas. And it ought to be worth a view. It's available. It's the number one movie, actually, that's being sold at Amazon right this minute. Minari. It's out on Blu-ray, too. Steven Yoon, I think, is the person that's part of that movie. Six-time Academy Award nominee, Minari. Number one at Amazon. Number two, Roe versus Wade. John Voight stars in that one. I just saw an interview, I think, on Wednesday from John Voight. Yeah, that is number two on the list. Number three, and it's not always movies that appear on the Amazon bestsellers for movies, The Office Complete Series is number three. As if you probably haven't, if you're an Office fan, not seen these things on some kind of cable TV for the last 15 years, you can get The Complete Series on DVD. And it's the number three selling movie slash TV show available right now. Jamie Foxx's Soul, I think that's an animated Disney Pixar film. It is the number four selling item right now, movie-wise, at Amazon. How about this one? Wonder Woman 1984. It is number five. Rebecca Roven Oakley, part of that. And then you have at number six, Harry Potter, the complete eight-film collection. Ooh, I know what I'm doing this weekend. I'm going to binge-watch Harry Potter. Just kidding. Now, Minari, the DVD, not the Blu-ray, but the DVD, Minari, the sixth Academy Award nominee film set in Arkansas, it, it comes in at number seven. So how about that? Minari at number one for Blu-ray, number seven for DVD on the list of movies from Amazon right now. The Blu-ray version of Harry Potter, a complete eight films collection, comes in at eight. These people are doing good on these movies when they get both the DVD and the Blu-ray to sell. Tom Hanks. Where is Tom Hanks? Well, he's at number eight with News of the World. That's out on DVD, and it's number nine on the Amazon list. And lastly, Jackie Chan's Drunken Master 2 Blu-ray. 
checks in at number 10 on Amazon's selling of movies and such from that website. How about going to a concert? That's something you can do. And I'm going to take a minute to kind of surf around some of the Southeast here and tell you about actual movies, or not movies, actual concerts you can attend this weekend unless something pops up here at the last minute and it gets canceled because of coronavirus. It appears, according to Ticketmaster, that you have some options to actually go see a real live concert. So this weekend in Macon, Georgia, it's the 25th annual Pan-African Festival of Georgia. That's an event that's got a lot of music and more. You can go there. In Atlanta, you got the Fleetwood Mac tribute rumors taking place at Coca-Cola Roxy. That's happening Saturday night. All that in the Atlanta area. I'm going to change my location Let's say Birmingham, Alabama. What's going on in Birmingham here this weekend? I need to spell Birmingham first. How does this computer not have Birmingham right there? Let's see. Birmingham, Alabama. Come on. Bear with me. I know there's some good stuff out there because I saw when I was doing some research before before the show what was going on in Beeham this weekend. All right. Taking place... This weekend in Birmingham, well, it looks like a concert was scheduled but then canceled. Marin Morris, country music singer, was supposed to be in T-Town, Tuscaloosa. That got canceled. But I can tell you that Saturday evening, Venture Boy, Harry Waller, and Matt Bryant will be at the Nick in Birmingham this weekend. How about Charlotte, North Carolina? What's going on in the Queen City here concert-wise this weekend? And survey says... That in Charlotte, I am not seeing anything in Charlotte. They might be a little bit uh, hesitant to put stuff on. But I can tell you, 90 miles down the road in Columbia, South Carolina this weekend, according to Ticketmaster, you have the Cola Jazz Fest that takes place Saturday in Columbia, South Carolina at the Senate. I guess that's a music video there. So you got that going on there. Let's go to the Volunteer State and let's say Knoxville. What's going on in Knoxville, Tennessee this weekend. Uh, Come on, website. Work with me here. Okay, I'm not having any luck there. All right. uh, Reset by location. You type in Knoxville, Tennessee, and Knoxville this weekend, according to Ticketmaster. Nothing in Knoxville, but in Asheville, the Travers Brothership with special guest Abby Bryant and the Echoes will be taking place at Salvage Station in Asheville, the outdoor stage. This weekend, I'm going to go to the other end of Tennessee and see if I have any better luck with concerts in Memphis or the Memphis area this weekend. Saturday night at Tin Roof in Memphis, Lakeview. That's a music hack. You can check that out here in the Bluff City this weekend. And let me pick one other place, uh, maybe Shreveport. What's going on in Shreveport, Louisiana this weekend? Uh, Nothing in Shreveport. Are you kidding me? This is, again, according to Ticketmaster. And uh, let's go to the Metroplex, see if they've got – surely Dallas has options going on this weekend. Nope, nothing there. All right, I'm going to give up on Ticketmaster. They don't have their act together. But they do – we did learn a few things going on this weekend. So check out – if you have a favorite artist that potentially has been shut down for a year, there's a darn good chance that they might be up and going. In fact, speaking of that artist up and going and even the state of Texas, when we come back after this break, we're going to have a country music spotlight here of our entertainment – And Miranda Lambert was back in her native Texas this last couple of days. 
and she got emotional. And I'll tell you why. Plus, you're going to hear the number one song in country music when we come back. All that on Y'all Talk With a Southern Accent. to his parents he's a bible by the bed he's the t-shirt that i'm wearing he's a song stuck in my head he's solid and he's steady like the allegheny runs he knows just where he's going and he's proud of where he's from one of the good ones he's one of the good Ladies and gentlemen, your number one song at Country Music Radio right now from the 21-year-old lady from Amish country, Gabby Barrett, with that song. It's now, again, three weeks at number one, given this song, one of the longest runs at number one for country's female artist. This goes back to Miranda Lambert's The House That Built Me. That stayed on the chart for four weeks at number one back in 2010, but now Gabby Barrett Three weeks with the good ones. Of course, her debut single, I Hope, was the first top ten hot country song debut by an unaccompanied woman since 2017. Gabby Barrett. American Idol contestant, of course. Been active for ten years on Warner Brothers Nashville. That's her record company. And congratulations to Gabby with this song out right now a number one song she's married to her fellow american idol contestant Cade forner and together they have a daughter bela may born earlier this year january 18th in fact we told you i think it was on last week's y'all show that she won an award from the acm awards she celebrated by changing a diaper just what you want to do when you make it to the big time congratulations to Gabby. Speaking of that Miranda Lambert gal, she got emotional this past weekend as she performed at Billy Bob's Texas, and it was her first full concert in about a year, and she was up there saying the following, no matter what I've ever done in my career and what I'm still going to do, somehow I still feel most at home on a bar stool under a neon sign, and Miranda Lambert added, I walked in here and I took a little tour around and I just felt so at home. I remembered why I do this and why I miss y'all's faces so damn much. Way to go, Miranda Lambert. Good to see her back performing at Billy Bob's and performing, period. Miranda Lambert performed several tracks from her upcoming album, The Marfa Tapes. That's coming out next week. And she'll return to Billy Bob's, Texas for more concerts this weekend so she must be hanging out in her native east texas here for a couple of days with rick and bev her mom and dad way to go miranda lambert performing and getting emotional in her return 
to the stage. How about Trisha Yearwood? She's had a rough 2021, had a coronavirus outbreak for herself and more. But Trisha says hubby Garth Brooks was a wonderful caretaker during her battle with the coronavirus. She made a guest appearance on the Kelly Clarkson show, and she said, about five days in, I'm like, honey, because Garth makes my coffee every morning, honey, I love you, but this is weak coffee. And it was just like that, Trisha Yearwood said on Kelly Clarkson. But she did test positive a few months ago in February. She lost her sense of taste and smell. But thanks to Garth Brooks, Troyal Garth Brooks to be specific, she made it through coronavirus. And she says he was really great. I would expect Garth, your husband, by the way, to be great. Clarkson joined Trisha Yearwood for a virtual collaboration of Trisha's 1996 hit, Believe Me Baby, I Lied. I like that song right there. Uh, I might even play it. Let's see. If we if this doesn't have a darn ad on it, I'll play a little bit of Trisha and Kelly Clarkson here performing on the Y'all Show. Oh, okay, here they go. Get ready. That's Kelly singing. Hey, that sounds pretty good. Trisha Yearwood and Kelly Clarkson there on Kelly's daytime show. All right. We like our country music here on the Y'all Show. We hope you like it, too. Of course, it's all Southern, and that's, well, when you except Gabby Barrett, of course, the darn Yankee. But she lives, I think, in the Nashville area, so we'll, we'll go ahead and put her into the Southern Club. She's singing good country Southern music. So, yeah, we have a spotlight with country music all the time here on the y'all show and we're glad that you have taken the time to tune in our show about the south when we come back after this time out we have a southern accent report from kobe bennett and it's on southern business and it's coming up next Southern accent. Here's a Business South update from y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Coca-Cola has been the hot topic as of late following repeated controversies this year, including Georgia's controversial voting law. Now, the Atlanta-based soft drink empire has announced that they will be raising prices in order to combat higher commodity costs. Coke isn't the first company making this move, following in the footsteps of fellow corporate giants, including Kimberly Clark and J.M. Smucker. The goal of the price hike is to return profit margins back to pre-pandemic levels. Coca-Cola CEO James Quincy told CNBC's Sarah Eisen on Squawk on the Street that while they are well hedged in 21, there's a pressure buildup for 22, and so there will have to be some price increases. He added that they intend to manage said price points intelligently, thinking through the way they use package sizes in order to optimize price points for consumers. Quincy did not cite which products would be receiving higher price tags. Coca-Cola's shares rose less than 1% following their first quarter reports. Demand for the soft drink last March reached pre-pandemic levels, though company higher-ups clarified that they are witnessing an uneven global recovery. Business news, headlines, and more at y'all.com. All right, Kobe, for those- thank you that. Well, the Southern Accents Business Report will close out this second hour of y'all we've got another great hour coming your way art cruise is here and we're going to cruise through hour three with art so stay tuned for more fun of the show that covers everything southern y'all we'll be right back y'all
the Y'all Show is returning now for a third hour. Talk with a southern accent. We got Art Cruz in with us, and we're going to talk about the NFL draft. Hey, you know, there hasn't been any coverage, Art, of tonight's NFL draft by media, and so it's our duty here on the Y'all Show to give our thoughts on the NFL draft. How does that sound? If the Y'all Show hasn't covered the NFL draft, John, uh, you have successfully escaped the horde because uh, <laughs> now we, no, we've barely covered it. But I'm saying that other media has not covered it at all. Oh no, yeah, right. Um, I you can't escape it, John. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere you tune in. The NFL, as I've said many times, does the best job of branding its product of not just any sport, but most any business concern, any corporation. Uh, in the United States, there is no off-season for the NFL. You play during the season. During the off-season, there are always headlines about um, official team workouts, uh, re- required team workouts. And when you get to this point in the year, toward the end of April and May, the NFL draft comes about. And it's always NFL, NFL, NFL in the headlines. And it's a testament to to the way they market their brand. And as you say, it's it's something that we haven't been able to escape from lately. And finally, finally, we're going to see the real thing tonight. We're going to see people stride across the stage <laughs> and give Roger Goodell that big hug. And you also, one of my favorite parts of the NFL draft is what we're about to hear right now on the Y'all Show. It's really something I look forward to every single year, and I get to hear it for about four days in a row. You ready for this? I'm ready. <laughs> uh, the the pick is in with the five thousand pick in the NFL draft. Well, you know, you can really get a quality player here in the latter stages of the fourth round. Uh, I want everybody to stay tuned in to this show. I know it's in the fourth round, but uh, the Raiders' pick is almost in, and who knows? They may get the next Peyton Manning, or they may. Hey, can you, can you don't the way pick they, on them though, because you got this uh, Mister Irrelevant thing that is the last pick in the draft, and there's a guy named Suckup who was Mr. Irrelevant many years ago, and he's still in the league. Ryan Suckup was Mr. Mm-hmm. Was Mr. Irrelevant. I didn't know that. Coming out of the Gamecocks. Yeah. Wow. I did not. Ryan Suckup was a great kicker uh, until he injured his knee a few years ago, and now uh, he's back. He's he's healthy. But I had no idea he was Mr. Irrelevant. And another SEC connection to Mr. Irrelevant. This guy might be irrelevant. Chad Kelly. Oh, my gosh. He is. <laughs> that, that, that's that's more close closely tied to irrelevant than Ryan Suckup, I would say. And that guy could actually still be in the league if he hadn't have done something really just bizarre. You, if you go back about three years ago, you're stumping me, John. Uh, he was with the Broncos, and, uh-huh. and he was doing okay with the Broncos. He was definitely maybe their number two QB. Mm-hmm. He walked into his neighbor's house naked. Oh, okay. And, uh-huh. and and the law got involved and and I mean it sounded it wasn't anything he did, uh, to, you know like any kind of sexual thing. I, I think he was just out of his mind, and well, I don't know if he was drunk or or just well, you don't have to fatigued do any, or what. After that, John, you, you don't have to do anything else. Simply walking <laughs> into the house naked is a, naked is enough. I, I think I'm right on the naked part, but he did something bizarre with a neighbor, and therefore the Broncos were pretty much forced to cut him. 
and he really hasn't found a home. He might have been with the Browns last year. Well, he found a home when he found his neighbor's home, but I hope he doesn't <laughs> find my home. I did not. I was not aware that he had done that. Gee, yeah. uh, that, that's made him irrelevant now. But yeah, that's the NFL draft twenty twenty one, and most people centering on Trevor Lawrence. What would the odds that he would go to another team besides the Jags? I forgot the the. I checked the betting odds the other day on if you wanted to bet that Trevor Lawrence would not be the number one pick. It was just astronomical. I, I hate to – I'm not even going to give a number, but uh, you would have to bet a significant amount of money to win $100. And I, I wouldn't think there's any money anywhere on anyone else other than Trevor Lawrence being the number one pick. There's not going to be any mystery with the number one pick, and there probably won't be any mystery with the number two pick. Now, that's The Jets have that pick. They've traded their quarterback, uh, Sam Darnold, and so they'll, they'll choose Zach Wilson of Brigham Young. Uh, but the mystery is going to start at number three, John. That's the 49ers, and they have – made it quite plain that they are going to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo, their present quarterback. But how they move on, the manner in which they move on, is still a mystery. Yeah, a lot of people think the BYU quarterback would go number two, and number three is where the questions start coming in. What's Art Cruz thinking? I'm thinking that Mac Jones is one of these guys that – as the draft has approached, he has been elevated far beyond his talent would justify him being elevated. Uh, the 49ers need a quarterback. They don't think it's going to be Justin Fields of Ohio State. Uh, I would agree with them. Uh, they have settled, it seems, on Mac Jones. But if you take Mac Jones out of this draft, and this is obviously just my opinion, if you take him out of this draft and just look at him in isolation, he wouldn't be that impressive to you. He really can't use his feet to gain yardage. Uh, he's not a threat on the ground, in other words. He doesn't have uh, really an, anything other than an above-average arm. He doesn't have a strong throwing arm. He's extremely accurate uh, with his passes, and he's an intelligent young man. But, John, there are a lot of quarterbacks that come out of college every year who don't have a great arm but are extremely accurate and are intelligent young men. And I just have to believe that if Mac Jones was in the 2020 draft or the 2025 draft or the 2010 draft, he wouldn't be being considered as the number three pick. We'll know in about 10 years. Uh, well, I started to say we'll know in about 10 years whether I'm correct or not. I don't think it will take 10 years because NFL teams don't give their quarterbacks very long. You either excel immediately or you're traded and they've gone on to somebody else i just don't think mac jones has the talent to justify being a number three pick and i think that's supported by the fact that if you look historically alabama quarterbacks don't do well in the nfl uh you can maybe think of one or two joe namath obviously back in the 60s but my gosh that was 60 years ago uh, Richard Todd played a little while for the Jets. Scott Hunter played a little while 
um, for the Indianapolis Colts. But Alabama quarterbacks... Don't leave out Andrew Zow. They just don't. He would certainly, certainly fit in with those quarterbacks that I've mentioned. They just don't do well in the NFL. I'm not saying it's because they drink Alabama water or they eat Alabama food, but it's just a fact that Alabama never has been a proving ground for quarterbacks, and I certainly don't see why anything would change with Mac Jones. Now, going through the order of round one as the NFL draft kicks off in Cleveland, the Jags one, Jets two, 49ers three, Falcons are at number four, mm-hmm. number five, the Bengals, number six, Dolphins. The seventh pick in the first round goes to the Detroit Lions, the Panthers at eight, Broncos nine, Dallas is number 10. The real intrigue to me comes of some of these teams don't need quarterbacks. So, the Bengals don't necessarily need to draft a quarterback. The Falcons probably don't need to draft a quarterback. They, they won't. Okay. They won't. Art says they're not. They won't. What about the Lions? Uh, they probably won't because they've just gotten Jared Goff in a deal in which they sent um, Stafford to the to the Rams. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not in the market for a quarterback. I believe the first non-quarterback will be taken by the Falcons. I think they are going to stay with Matt Ryan. Of course, Arthur Smith is the new coach of the Falcons. Arthur Smith, who in the past few years had been offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. Matt Ryan has not been the problem uh, for the Falcons the past few years. They are going to go, in my mind, with the guy who is the most can't miss in the entire draft, and that is uh, Kyle Pitts tight end from florida uh do i say he's the most talented person in the draft i'm not saying that i'm just saying quarterbacks miss sometimes you Mm -hmm. think you're going to get a great one and uh, that always doesn't turn out to be the case but somebody like pitts uh, his speed doesn't slump his catching range what they call the catch range uh, doesn't slump Pitts is one of these guys who can block like a tight end. He can get downfield like a wide receiver. His catch range, in other words, balls that aren't necessarily well thrown to them, but just in his area, uh, he his catch range is far above what a normal NFL tight end would be and above, quite frankly, what an NFL wide receiver would be. I think he is going to go to the Falcons. He will provide another weapon. For Matt Ryan and uh, the Falcons' quarterback future is yet to be determined because they'll stick with Matt Ryan and go uh, with Kyle Pitts in the number four slot. Falcons, if they follow your rule there, are going to not go QB. The Bengals won't go QB. The Dolphins probably won't go QB, but there is some real questions with Tua and people saying that he may not be uh, in uh, the – Dolphins may not be ready to tie the knot forever with Tua. You know, the the Dolphins have really, in my mind, mishandled that situation. Uh, Last year, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback at the beginning of the year for the Dolphins. Uh, He led the Dolphins. I believe their record was 4-1 at the beginning of the year. However, in spite of the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick was winning, and the last time I checked, John, that was the purpose of playing the game, in spite of the fact that he was winning, they pulled him from the starting lineup and started playing Tua. 
Now, the reason, according to the Dolphins, that they did that is they wanted to see what they had in Tua. In other words, we can't let this guy sit on the bench and never find out what he's got. We've got to play him, see if he's going to be our quarterback of the future, and if so, we'll stick with him. If not, we'll have to go back to the well either the draft or through trade or free agency and get another quarterback. Well, they did that, and I agree with you, John. At this point in time, the Dolphins still don't know if Tua is going to be their quarterback of the future. I think their organization is split 50-50. Some folks think that he is. Some folks think he's not. They won't go quarterback this year. It will surprise me. It will more than that. It will shock me. I believe they'll stay with Tua one more year, but um, he's on the clock. He is definitely on the clock. You might remember just a couple of moments ago, I said, "Well, we'll know in ten years whether uh, Matt Jones, uh, excuse me, uh, Mac Jones, yeah, will be successful or not." And then I corrected myself and I said, "No, we'll know sooner than that because NFL teams don't stick with a quarterback." Same thing applies here with Tua. He has he is definitely on the clock. I don't expect the Dolphins to go for a quarterback now, but if he doesn't light it up this year, you can expect Tua to get the Teddy Bridgewater treatment and be traded with the Dolphins being in the market for a quarterback in the next draft. Many of the talking heads project that the Dolphins will go with one of those Alabama wide receivers to join him there in South Florida. Well, I think so. I think there's a familiarity there. Uh, with the, with the Bama wide receivers that Tua has. But above the familiarity, the talent is there. I think one of those two guys w- will be drafted. Uh, but let's not skip over the Bengals and LSU, former LSU quarterback uh, uh, Burrow. Joe Burrow. And, I'm, you know, I, 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 I'm going to go ahead and, and say this, and I guess somebody will play it. Uh, on the podcast one of these days, and we'll see if Art was correct. But hold on, let me hit record. Okay, it's it, the word is that the Bengals, and, and you reminded me of this when you mentioned uh, the Alabama receivers in connection with Tua. The word is pretty much it's a given that the Bengals are going to they're going to draft Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase was a LSU receiver Mm -hmm. who played with Joe Burrow at LSU. And the Bengals are going to try to take advantage of that connection, just like the Dolphins will try to take advantage. However, I think that's a big, big mistake. If you remember, John, last year Joe Burrow really put up some great numbers before he was injured. And that's the problem. He was injured the Bengals exposed him more than they should have. Uh, the protection wasn't good. The protection schemes weren't good. And when the schemes were correct, the talent wasn't good enough to project, to protect Joe Burrow. But Burrow, in spite of that, kept flinging the ball downfield and put up some real gaudy numbers. However, that stopped mm. because he was injured. And I think the Bengals are going to make a big mistake by drafting Jamar Chase, that will allow Joe Burrow to put up some gaudy numbers. And I can see in the future the Bengals with people like Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow having gaudy numbers 
and and everyone saying, "Golly, the Bill, the the Bengals are a really good team. Uh, are they going to contend for a playoff?" And the answer will be no, because they'll have one of those offenses that will really eat up yardage between the twenties. Joe Burrow will have great stats as a quarterback. Jamar Chase will have great stats as a receiver. But you need somebody to protect your quarterback, and I think they should be choosing Pene Sewell, an offensive lineman from Oregon, to protect Joe Burrow in the long run. To me, that's the value play, and we'll see in a few years. I hope I'm wrong. I hope Joe Burrow is not injured again like he was last year. But if I'm picking for the Bengals, I'm protecting my franchise quarterback, and that would be in the form of drafting Pene Sewell from Oregon. When he was injured last year, I think the game was at the Eagles where he got knocked out. He didn't just get injured. He got pummeled, and his recovery – was at best this season. Do you know anything about Joe Burrow? Is he ready to go here for the fall of 2021, or is there a chance that he might not be able to suit up until midseason or even the next year? Oh, I think I think he's ready. I think he's okay. going to play in all the – but, you know, there's a difference between being ready to play, being cleared to play, and being healthy. There's no way Joe Burrow is healthy right now. He may play, but uh, all the more reason in my mind to draft someone to protect him. Mm. You've got a long-term investment in that guy. Uh, he's still Joe Burrow's still on his rookie contract, of course. But this is a guy that's going to be paid by the time his rookie contract is up. He's going to be paid forty million dollars a year at least to play quarterback. And if you don't have someone to protect him, then you know, that investment is uh, is going is not going to return the dividends that you wanted to return. All right, Bengals with a fifth pick, Dolphins sixth, Lions you said don't necessarily go with a quarterback. How about what right now going into the draft is scheduled to be the Carolina Panthers, the Panthers mm-hmm. making news Wednesday trading Teddy Bridgewater, the 2020 starter to the Denver Broncos. They brought in from the New York Jets Sam Darnold what are the Panthers going to do? Uh, well, they won't be going quarterback, that's for sure. A lot of people don't realize. Sam Darnold, and you can check my math on this, listeners, but I'm almost sure Sam Darnold is still only 23 years old. I mean, he is a pup. Uh, he's got some time to learn. He's got Joe Brady there as offensive coordinator. Joe Brady was the offensive coordinator at LSU, of course, when – Joe Burrow excelled. Matt Rule is the head coach at Carolina, who is one of the best offensive minds in the NFL. I think Sam Darnold will flourish at Carolina. Uh, Do you think the Panthers, in only two weeks or three weeks, whatever it's been since Darnold has come from the Jets, do you think in that short time period they've been able to see him and evaluate him and say, we've got a real steal here and we don't need Teddy Bridgewater? Well, I think that evaluation period or that evaluation process was done before they traded for him. Uh, Obviously, you're not going to trade for a quarterback and then work him out and see if he's what you need to run your offense. Sam Darnold needed to get out of New York City. He needed to get away from the Jets. He needed to get away from that Adam Gaze influence. And I think Sam Darnold will be fine. The evaluation was done all through this year and all through Darnold's career. And I would dare say, looking back to even his college days at USC, the Panthers were well aware of what they could get out of Sam Darnold before they traded for him. They've got him now, and they are so confident in him that they felt as though they could 
could trade, traded Teddy Bridgewater away and didn't even need Bridgewater as a backup quarterback. And these quarterbacks, John, it's, I said $40 million uh, a couple of minutes ago, what Joe Burrow would be paid. It is amazing what quarterbacks are being paid now. And I'm not just talking about the Dak Prescotts and, and Aaron Rodgers and people like that. Teddy Bridgewater, before last year, signed a three-year, $63 million contract. These NFL teams seem to fall in love with their quarterback, go all in with their quarterback, and then they give him one or two years, and if it doesn't work out, he's gone. Uh, it is it is just shocking to me how the the quarterback lust that these NFL teams have, and I think that's one thing that's going to bite the 49ers. I think they've fallen in love, as I said, with Mac Jones, and I don't think there's sufficient reason for them to have fallen in love with Mac Jones because, to me, he's a decent quarterback. He probably is one of those quarterbacks who will hang around the NFL for a good while, but I certainly don't see him as a quarterback that is a top quarterback in the NFL year after year after year. Well, you talk about falling in love, and here's my take on what the Panthers will do in that eighth spot. I think if somehow Mac Jones doesn't get drafted by the 49ers in the third spot, mm -hmm. there won't be a quarterback pick between three and eight. As you, you already said, no. the Falcons won't go quarterback. The no. Bengals won't go. Dolphins likely won't. The Lions won't. So it, it all comes down, what are the 49ers going to do? And if they don't go with Jones, I think the Panthers will take Mac Jones at eight. And the reason is they spent a whole week with Mac Jones in Mobile. The Panthers coaching staff was the coaching staff of the senior bowl team. They got a lot of time with him. They got to know him. And I think if he's available, they're going to take him. I also think they're high on Justin Fields out of Ohio State. If he's available, I don't see why they wouldn't take him at number eight. Other than those two, I think they're willing to maybe beef up the offensive line and go with someone like you mentioned out of Oregon, one of the, the – Penny Sewell. Yeah, that guy. Mm -hmm. They're likely to maybe go – if he's available, he may not be. But that's my take on Carolina. Denver, again, trading with Carolina on Wednesday to get Bridgewater – Denver could go quarterback. Denver will go quarterback. Okay. Yeah. Denver will go. I, I, I think they fell in love initially with Drew Locke. Uh, they don't have much invested, quite frankly, in Teddy Bridgewater. The only thing that they gave up for Bridgewater was a sixth-round draft choice. So they don't have anything invested there. If they can go quarterback, they will. I don't know, obviously, what their inside scouting report is on uh, Justin Fields or any other quarterback in the draft but they are I don't believe that anyone would say with any credibility that the Broncos have solved their quarterback dilemma by getting Teddy Bridgewater or teaming him up with Drew Locke uh, but I'll bet you a wooden nickel though John I will bet you a wooden nickel that if Mac Jones is not drafted by the 49ers, he will fall precipitously. And I think he will fall far, far beyond the eighth pick with Carolina. I think this is going to be one of those times that if he's not picked, of course, if, if Mac Jones is picked number three by the 49ers, we'll never know if this is true. But if he's passed over for any reason, 
I think it's going to be one of those situations where we see Mac Jones in the green room waiting and waiting <laughs> and waiting for his name to be called. And after a while, you get embarrassed for the guy and you start feeling sorry for the guy. We'll see if it happens, but right. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see, I don't see Carolina going quarterback. Not after they just got Sam Darnold. I think they need somebody. If if they're if they're available, they they kind of have. There are some people saying they might trade down, perhaps with the New England Patriots. We'll find out. Denver at nine. Dallas rounds out the top ten picks in this first round. Well, Dallas ought to fire their general manager. I know that their draft has not been good lately. Hey, have you heard about the Titans' draft of late? Well, well, uh, well wait a minute. You you know who the who the Dallas Cowboys' general manager is, don't you? It's unfortunately it's jerry jones the owner of the cowboys <laughs> okay. so we're not going to be firing the general manager i i really question i know there are a lot of cowboy fans listening i really question the organizational structure of the cowboys the best thing the best run organizations quite frankly are run by people by owners who hire football people or baseball people or basketball people you hire that person because of their expertise, and then as an owner, you get out of the way. If you want to go down on the sidelines and clap during the fourth quarter, that's great. If you want to do circle around the team and make public appearances for the team, of course, you're the owner. You can do that. But Jerry Jones is intimately involved in the day-to-day operations of not just on the business side of the Cowboys, but on the football side. He is the general manager. He decides who gets drafted and who doesn't. And frankly, Jerry Jones, although he's a great owner and he's a great businessman, I mean, nobody has built the Cowboy brand up as much as Jerry Jones and has helped build the NFL shield like Jerry Jones. He's a great businessman, but he's a poor general manager. And um, we'll see what they do this year, but I don't, I don't expect the Cowboys to do well in the draft until they change general manager. All right, Art Cruz, thoughts on tonight's NFL draft again on ESPN as well as the NFL Network. Check it out. We'll be back here on Friday to recap how the round one picks went. We've got more of the Y'all Show coming up. Art has been on a tear on rule changes and. One rule may have affected a scary scene Wednesday on the baseball diamond. We'll get his thoughts on that. Plus, more of the show all over the South is coming up. In fact, we've got some festivals across the South that we'll tell you before we get out of here today. All that on the Y'all Show. Stay tuned. This is the Y'all Show with Art Cruz, John Raw. Good to have you back here as we're kind of closing things out here this last half hour, talking about the Southeast and more. And Art Cruz, you were in on Tuesday talking about rule changes and such. And something happened in Major League Baseball on Wednesday that uh, you have definitely something to say about it with Bryce Harper. Scary scene there. What happened? Bryce Harper of the Philadelphia Phillies was hit 
with a pitched ball that was going right at 98 miles per hour was hit in the face with a pitched ball last night. Now, you're correct, John. A couple of days ago, I was on here. I was talking about Major League Baseball implementing these rule changes in the minor leagues so that they could study them and possibly implement them after a couple of years of study in the major leagues. And I made a point to say that a lot of these rule changes may look good on their face, but these rules do have unintended consequences. And last night was a perfect example of that unintended consequence. Major League Baseball, beginning last year, adopted a rule, a silly rule, that if a relief pitcher comes into the game, the relief pitcher has to face at least three batters. They wanted to speed up the baseball game. Major League Baseball wanted to stop managers from stopping the game and changing a pitcher, right-hander to a left-hander, back to a right-hander, in order to get a favorable matchup against the batter. So, to speed up the game, Rob Manfred, Major League Baseball Commissioner, in his infinite wisdom, decided, well, the way we can speed up the game is If a relief pitcher comes in the game, he has to face at least three batters. Well, the unintended consequence of that rule reared its ugly head last night, John. Genesis Cabrera, a pitcher for the Cardinals, wound up and threw his first pitch to Bryce Harper. And as I said, 98 miles per hour hit him flush in the face. Thank God Bryce Harper has been on Instagram and has recorded uh, himself late last night, early early this morning. He's okay. Uh, CT scan, MRI at the hospital, clear. He's all right. But the problem is Genesis Cabrera, the Cardinal pitcher, had no idea where he was throwing the ball. Sometimes as a pitcher, you have good control, and sometimes you're lost. And Genesis Cabrera was lost. You could tell it affected him greatly last night when he hit Bryce Harper in the face. Uh, It shook him. Uh, Mentally, he was checked out because it's difficult. It's difficult. I can say from personal experience, when you hit somebody as a pitcher and you hurt them, uh, it's not something that you're intending to do. Arguably also maybe the biggest star in Major League Baseball that he hit. Well, certainly if if you rank... If you rank players by paycheck, he would certainly be there. Uh, I don't think Bryce is the number one player, but he's certainly one of the top five players in the game. Now, under normal circumstances, the Cardinal manager would have taken Genesis Cabrera out of the game because he was in no shape to pitch any further. He's mentally, he was destroyed. But the Cardinal manager couldn't take him out of the game because of this silly Major League Baseball rule that says a pitcher has got to face at least three batters. So what happened when the next batter came up to bat? Genesis Cabrera wound up and his first pitch hit the next batter also. He's thrown two pitches and hit one batter square in the face and hit another batter In the ribs. Hmm. He doesn't need to be out there. Not only because of his performance and the fact that he's helping the Phillies win a baseball game. He doesn't need to be out there because he's mentally 
He's mentally somewhere else. He has hit two people, plus he doesn't know where the ball's going. So what does the Cardinal manager do? Does he take him out of the game? No. Why? Because he can't. Because Major League Baseball has this silly rule that says that a pitcher has to face three batters. Well, he faced one more batter. That batter got a hit. And then mercifully, at that point, the Cardinal manager took Cabrera out of the game. John, player safety there's is has to be paramount no matter what game you're talking about. And last night, player safety was not first, was not second. It was way on down the list. It knelt to the God of, quote, we've got to get this game going quicker and keep more fans excited, close quote. It's a shame. Another thing that happened, quite frankly, is uh, <laughs> the Philadelphia manager, Joe Girardi, got thrown out of the game uh, because the umpires wouldn't throw Cabrera out of the game. And the umpires. This really, was after the second guy? After the second guy, you know, Girardi uh, wanted the umpires to take Cabrera out of the game, but there was no basis to take Cabrera, to throw Cabrera out of the game. Um, from an umpire's perspective, because it was obvious that what he was doing was not intentional. Major League Baseball has some rules now. Uh, one of them, I can, we can spend an entire day on this. One of them, I'll touch it just lightly. Uh, whenever somebody is hit, let's say the Cardinals hit the Phillies player last night, which happened. What the umpire did, in addition to not being able to take Cabrera out of the game, he warned the Phillies and he warned the Cardinals about not pitching inside anymore. That doesn't protect anybody if the pitcher doesn't know where the ball is going. The players can take care of this situation. Players can stop opposing pitchers from throwing inside and intimidating the other team. But the umpires have gotten involved. But worst of all, Major League Baseball has gotten involved with these silly rules that are intended to improve the game that have these unintended consequences. And last night, uh, a young man could have lost his life or been severely injured because of that silly rule. Yet another reason Rob Manfred must go. Let's take a look at the standings of Major League Baseball since we're talking about that particular sport here on today's Y'all Show. In the American League East right now, the Red Sox with a 16-9 and mark sit atop that particular division. Weren't expected to do well. No, and the Rays are nipping on their heels. Central, how about the Kansas City Royals? Uh, they've come out of nowhere, in my opinion, 15-8. Uh, and eight. They are just atop the Chicago White Sox here in the AL Central. AL West, the leader there, the Oakland Athletics with a 15-10 and 10 mark. Houston behind them. When you move over to the National League, the aforementioned Philadelphia Phillies now tied with the Atlanta Braves. The Braves love the Chicago Cubs. They've uh, taken care of business against them the last couple of days. Phillies and Braves tied with a 12-12 and mark. That's good enough to lead the NL East. The NL Central, the Brewers with a 14-10 and mark just ahead of the St. Louis Cardinals. And then when you get to the NL West, Dodgers and Giants. Yeah, not the Padres. The Giants have an identical 16-9 and mark in Major League Baseball. Art, your thoughts on where we are standings-wise? Well, before I get to that, John, I forgot to ask one of my favorite trivia questions of you the other day when I was talking about the Dodgers-Giants rivalry, how they were rivals in New York City, and how they've become, or 
not how they become, but how they remain to be rivals once they move to California. And one of my favorite trivia questions in that regard is, as you know, the New York Mets colors mm-hmm. are orange and blue. Do you know why the Mets colors are orange and blue? Of course I do. Orange from the Giants and blue from the Dodgers. And the logo is from the Giants. You know, a lot of people don't realize that, and their their baseball history expertise doesn't go back that far but you're correct and i wanted to make sure just to get that out there the mets colors are a tip of the cap to the to the history of new york baseball uh the fact that the giants were there the fact that uh the dodgers were there and also the yankees were there there was arguments back then of who was the best center fielder in baseball was it mickey mantle with the yankees was it duke snyder with the dodgers was it willie mays with the giants can you imagine all three of those guys playing in one position at one in at one time and uh people would say well Duke Snyder is the best center fielder in baseball, and others would say, well, he's not even the best center fielder in New York, Hmm. much less baseball. But as far as the standings go, I expect the reason we play 162 games uh, will be borne out in the end. Some teams that are leading now, I don't expect to be leading toward the end. Uh, I, I expect the Giants to fall away, and I expect the West between the Dodgers and the Padres to be a race to the end. I expect the Braves uh, will overtake the Phillies. Uh, the Mets have great pitching in the East, but but they can't score any runs. The Braves are a more balanced team. The Brewers in the National League Central, surprising to a lot of people, not surprising to me because I had always thought that their pitching was underrated. Uh, they have an excellent group of starting pitchers. Uh, the Cardinals have had some injury problems. I do think that the Cardinals will overtake the Brewers and finish first in the National League Central. Uh, but those are my thoughts right off the top. Right. And, of course, I feel don't we all feel sorry, cry crocodile tears for the poor New York Yankees, one of the worst teams in baseball right now, projected to be one of the best teams in baseball. It just does my soul good, John, sometimes to see New York fans cry those crocodile tears. And to the Yankees' credit, they are not in the cellar of the AL East. They are at 11-13, and 13, one game better than the O's. We've got a new segment that we're going to get to with Art Cruz, get his thoughts on the State of the Union address from Wednesday night. All that ahead as the Y'all Show rolls on. logistical achievements, logistical achievements this country's ever seen. Thanks to the American Rescue Plan, we're on track to cut child poverty in America in half this year. 
All right. That was Wednesday night. You had the President of the United States, Joe Biden, speaking in the joint session of Congress, his State of the Union. This is the Y'all Show, talking about some of the news items going on around the southeast. We've got Art Cruz here. Did you have a chance to break away from baseball to tune in the State of the Union address, sir? I'm not going to say that I saw all of it because I didn't, John. I can't make myself. You can't tell a lie. I can't tell a lie. I'm not going to say that Joe Biden, or quite frankly, any politician now can keep my attention for that long. <laughs> you know, the uh, the older I get, maybe the more the the uh, more get off my lawn type attitude I have. I don't know. I don't think so. But the older I get, the less interesting speeches like this become to me because you've heard it all before. And this was another one of those speeches where the president gets up before the assembled. Uh, the joint session of Congress, and basically speaks to the American people and tries to give away more stuff than his predecessor. I know that several commentators said that the that the president's speech would be well received, but if you cut through the chaff and get right to the wheat of why his speech would be well received, it's because he's giving more stuff to more different people than any president before him. And that was true of, quite frankly, Donald Trump. And before that, that was true of Barack Obama. Presidents at this point in their in their um, presidencies really make a point of making a splash and ha- making some headlines, making bullet points with very few specifics of these grand gestures that are going to happen. And it would seem everyone would be in favor of what they're proposing. For instance, we heard in this in the short clip that you played, John, uh, Joe Biden spoke of cutting child poverty in half. Well, who wouldn't be in favor of that? Of course. I'm not in favor of that. <laughs> As a general proposition, we want to take poverty and we wish we could eliminate it. So that's great. But when you get into the nuts and bolts of how you're going to do it, uh, that's where the rubber meets the road, and that's where disagreements are. We haven't reached that stage yet in the in the Biden presidency. We're going Biden to Biden Harris. Uh, well, the Harris Biden presidency. <laughs> uh, but w- w- when these programs start being implemented in the manner in which they're implemented, and you start paying for it out of your pocket, uh, then uh, then w- then we'll really see. Uh, if Joe Biden is different than any other past president, and of course the answer to that will be no. So I didn't watch it all. Okay. I've got other. I, I've got. Uh, you know, I sat down on the curb in front of my house last night, as it was drizzling a little bit, and there was an old car in the road, and I sat there in the drizzling rain and watched the hubcaps on that old car rust, and I think I spent my time more wisely doing that than I would have listening to Joe Biden. Well, I know what you've been doing today prior to coming in this third hour. You've been listening to the Y'all Show, and one of the stories I discussed earlier was three Georgia men now are going to be charged with hate crimes for their alleged killing of Ahmad Aubrey. That was the case from Brunswick, Georgia, from last year, where the man was shot by one of those three men, and now federal prosecutors 
putting a hate crime charge in this case, and you, being the attorney, have something to say about that. Well, hate crimes have always been hard for me to figure, John, quite frankly. Um, What groups should be covered? What groups should be targeted? Uh, For instance, if three gay people... uh, have a fight and kill a lesbian is, is that the kind of group that is, is or is a hate crime committed there both are minority sexual oriented groups so, so who do you protect there hate crime legislation is full of dangers because our country was founded on the predicate that everyone is equal under the law Everyone is equal under the law. But now we're calibrating our criminal laws with these hate crimes to say that, well, maybe my jaw is worth more than your jaw because there was some hate involved in the perpetration of my crime. That's just not right. What we do when we go into a courtroom is we have to show intent in order to convict someone of a criminal violation. But hate Hate law legislation, hate crime legislation takes that one step further. It investigates your motive. So now defendants are being tried not simply for what they've done, but they're being tried for what they believe. To me, that is antithetical to the founding of this country. If someone gets murdered in a fit of hate, then prosecute them for murder. Don't prosecute them for what they believed. Prosecute these people for the crime. Existing criminal laws cover every victim, whether they're revered or whether they're reviled. Follow the law. Hate crimes in legislation, in my opinion, are unnecessary. Art Cruz Esquire. Very well said. Hey, we've got some festivals taking place this weekend in the southeast, and I'll let you know what a few of those are as we close out this Y'all Show on a Thursday after this. Stay tuned. Clock and all my friends are twisting off. I'm at the house just turning on TV. Well, they all wonder why I've changed. How many times must I explain its basic honky tonk anatomy? The drinking bones connected to the party bone. The party bones connected to the staying out all night long. And she won't think it's funny, and I wind up all alone. And the lonely Oh, some of you are going to get your drinking bone on this weekend. It's going to be May, and there's going to be festivals across the Southeast. John Rawl, Art Cruz, wrapping up y'all here in this final segment. We've got the National Harbor Wine and Food Festival taking place at Fort Washington, Maryland this weekend. Get your wine and your food on. That's a pretty good combination right there coming to us from our nation's capital there, that area. St. Louis has the Storytelling Festival taking place here this weekend. Also, you got the Cape Fear Comedy Festival in Wilmington, North Carolina here this first weekend in May. And it all kicks off not Saturday, but Sunday in Humboldt, Tennessee, the West Tennessee Strawberry Festival, Tennessee's largest and longest running festival since 1934. Humboldt right there in West Tennessee, 
Check it out. Go to the website, strawberryfestivaltn.com, for more info on that particular festival. And also, thanks to styleblueprint.com, we've got a list of some places, southern outdoor destinations off the beaten path. You might want to check out this one. Charlotte, North Carolina's Explore the World's Largest Whitewater Center there in the Queen City. That is a good place to go to. And Virginia Abington's Bike the Virginia Creeper Trail there. And also in the Georgia, South Carolina area, the Chattooga River, the scene of deliverance, by the way. All that thanks to Style Blue Brent. And that's coming up here this weekend as you get your weekend started here on the Y'all Show. Art Cruz, thank you so much for being on with us today. It's been a pleasure to be with you again. John, I'll be with you tomorrow. I think I'll take a 23-hour break and see you tomorrow. All right. Thank you all for tuning in, y'all. Y'all.